If this podcast had a slogan, it would probably be, remember when all of your favorite bands came from Seattle instead of Toronto? We've done Pearl Jam, Soundgarden, we'll definitely get to Temple of the Dog, presumably at some point we'll cover that other Seattle band, and now it's time for one of the biggest bands ever to come out of the Emerald City, one that never quite fit in with its compatriots. Guitarist Jerry Cantrell and drummer Sean Kinney started a band in 1987. They quickly brought in bassist Mike Starr and singer Lane Staley. According to Wikipedia, quote, because Cantrell, Starr, and Kinney wanted Staley to be their lead singer, they started auditioning terrible lead singers in front of Staley to send a hint. The last straw for Staley was when they auditioned a male stripper. He decided to join the band after that. Did not say whether, whether the stripper was a good singer or not, but I guess not. The band name came from Staley, whose previous metal band was originally called Sleaze, S-L-E-Z-E, and then briefly changed its name to Alice in Chains before breaking up. Staley died in 2002 of a drug overdose, but Alice in Chains has improbably continued putting out three albums with vocalist William Duvall. Today's song comes from Alice in Chains' smash hit album Dirt, which has been certified five times platinum. It's a serious song about the scars of the Vietnam War, but it raises a question that, to my knowledge, no one has ever asked songwriter Jerry Cantrell. Do you think snuff the rooster is a funny phrase? Because it is, right? Today on Hidden Jukebox, Alice in Chains, Rooster. Okay, I've got three things. Okay, great. Number one, you didn't mention that they vehemently deny that Alice in Chains had anything to do with Guns N' Roses. Oh, interesting. Yeah, which is like, I mean, come on, guys. Uh, Second, I'm not saying that you can't. I'm saying that I can't name five bands from Toronto that everybody loves. Oh, uh, I was thinking of uh, Drake, The Weeknd, and Justin Bieber. I, I wouldn't have even known that all three of them. I knew that Drake was from Toronto. Yeah. Um, and number three, what was number three that I don't know <laughs> that that popped in my head? Um, something about snuffing the rooster. Something about William Duvall. No, it wasn't about either of those. It'll come to me. Okay, great. Um, okay, so let's see. Jerry Cantrell. All uh, right. the The first thing that I want to talk about is Oasis. Oh, okay. <laughs> Why? Because I find it interesting. Oh, I see where you're going where, with this. When a band has a chief songwriter who can also sing really well and does this pseudo selfless act of going, I can find somebody who sings better than me. I think we talked about this when we did the Oasis episode, I think we mentioned Alice in Chains as a similar situation because I think Lane Staley is a better singer than Jerry Cantrell. And they also, you know, more so than in Oasis, where mostly just Liam took the lead, right? Um, yep. Jerry Cantrell and Lane Staley had incredibly complimentary voices and sang harmonies all the time brilliantly. But also, like, you know, it it would not have been the the success that it was with just Jerry Cantrell. I don't think. Absolutely not, and and that's why I say it's even though he's a very good singer. I I think that that part of it is that he recognized that too. It's it's more, it's better in this case, in my opinion, than Oasis because Oasis is so impressive because apparently Noel and Liam always hated each other. Sure. So for Noel to go. Yeah, but he is a really good singer was was kind of incredible. This you you read about these guys and you can tell that they 
had a lot of admiration for each other. Really, the entire band remained friends. That's part of why they still do it to this day is Jerry Cantrell really admired Lane Staley. I just remembered the third thing that I was going to say. Yeah. Wouldn't it be amazing? You know, nobody really knows who that stripper was who they hired. Right. Wouldn't it be amazing if it was like Stephen Jenkins from third eye blind or something like uh-huh. that like sure. like you discovered years from now yeah that that actually ended up being a superstar and they could have used him <laughs> just fine i i only th- think of steven jenkins because that was I, that was a good good idea no i i remember sometime in the 90s uh rolling stone started doing these features where they would do like modeling shoots with artists and they did like a jeans yes. modeling shoot with Stephen Jenkins. And I thought it was so awkward. Like, <laughs> th- but this guy isn't a model. Like, just I like you can't. I don't even know what he looks like. Well, apparently somebody thinks he's attractive. I mean, he, he was like the, the lead singer of a popular band. So like a lot of people think he's attractive. Yeah, but at the, like right around the same time, Rob Thomas from Matchbox 20 started getting shit for gaining weight, which I also thought was a load of bullshit. Like, oh, yeah. well, well, pop stars aren't allowed to gain weight. Sure. So so I liked the contrast of, oh, Stephen Jenkins is a model and uh, Rob Thomas gets shit for gaining weight. Uh, was there was there a um, Mark McGrath uh, photo shoot? Uh, not in that era, but okay. he, he definitely had a modeling career at right. some point. Back to the vocals. Back to Alice in Chains. <laughs> um, you, you even mentioned here that their vocals are so complimentary that sometimes you can't even tell who is singing what part. Yeah. And this was something that I was thinking about going back to this album this week, too, is that not only can you not tell who sing what part but but growing up and listening to this album i i didn't you know there wasn't really ways to research bands the way that there are sure. now so so unless you were watching yeah, to, mtv documentaries yeah uh, encyclopedia britannica which uh in uh in our house growing up was i think the 1969 edition <laughs> yeah uh alice chains just missed the mark right. on that one uh but but like you just figured if Lane Staley's the lead singer, he's writing all the vocals, he's controlling where the vocals go. And one of the things that stood out to me when uh, they reformed and William Duvall came on is the harmonies were so similar to what Jerry Cantrell was doing with Lane Staley that it was like, oh, this was kind of Jerry Cantrell's brainchild. Yeah, I think so. Uh, and and Staley. But, you know, you can't deny that he had one of the best rock voices ever, but it was almost like Jerry Cantrell was at certain points going, here is your vocal line. Sing this. I think that's probably true. Um, you wrote that uh, that you thought that they didn't really fit uh, the the definition of grunge as a genre. And I think they totally do. So let's let's have it out. OK, so what do you think grunge is? So. We've had this discussion on the show before. Of course, we have. So, so the first thing that always pops in my head with grunge is loud, quiet, loud. Uh, That that one band from Seattle you mentioned. uh, Yes, fair. Like, but I don't. I don't think that's necessary for grunge. And then I think of heavy, sludgy guitars. Where there, it's never fast. Uh, It's always kind of like. Not necessarily drop detuning, but you can imagine yeah. that, that everybody's doing drop detuning. Or or like standard tuning, but tuned down. 
and and it's a lot of distortion and it's very rarely uh upbeat lyrics sure so so I think this all fits Alice in Chains pretty much. Like they they have they have a lot of plenty of fast songs too, but this is this is not an up tempo song. No, um, it it's not, and I think that this song falls into grunge. But this this band, like when you look at the bands that they would tour with during during their heyday, it wasn't really other grunge bands. Like they played shows with Soundgarden. They they were friends with uh the Mother Love Bone guys, the Pearl Jam guys, but like they did tours with Van Halen, Guns N' Roses, Ozzy Osbourne, right. Iggy Pop, yeah, Anthrax, Megadeth, Slayer, Kiss, Metallica, Velvet Revolver, Metal Church, Pantera. <laughs> like like they were playing with Hard rock and metal acts. Okay, so let me try. Let me try a uh, a theory that I'm going to make up on the spot here. That's probably not going to make sense. So I think grunge, what we call grunge, was always a fusion of uh, classic rock, punk, and metal. And different bands found themselves like in different parts of the of the area created by that triangle. So like Pearl Jam, very much on the classic rock side. I think. Nirvana much more on the punk rock side and Alice in Chains kind of staking out the metal corner, but all of them inside the triangle. Soundgarden, I think, kind of like in between uh, metal and classic rock. Yeah, it it was unfair of me to say that they are not grunge. I, I will that admit that was unfair. Yeah. Well, I'm a very unfair person. Yeah, uh, I will. I will admit that they were they definitely fell into the category and and the other thing that i would say about grunge is it was kind of this backlash to the hair metal thing going on in the 80s and so i guess another reason that i don't think of alice in chains necessarily in there is because one of the things that i felt grunge pulled away from was like the guitar hero style lead guitarist yeah, absolutely and jerry cantrell is a monster lead guitarist Totally true. Like, like he just did things on the guitar where you're like, okay, holy shit, that's really impressive. Yeah, you know, I was listening, so I was listening to Dirt, the album that this comes from this morning, and uh, like one thing that was a signature of Alice in Chains, um, and I don't know if it's just because Man in the Box was from their- Was from Facelift. It was from Facelift, so that was their first album, right? Yep. Okay. I don't know if it was just because that song was such a big hit, and they were like, we need to do more of that, but I think it was just like a thing they like to do, is open a song with like vocal, you know, non-lyric vocal vocalizations that are really fun so this song starts with you know uh which uh which is great oh you're hearing the lower harmony i'm hearing the upper harmony yeah yeah sure right uh you know then bone starts with ah (laughs) (laughs) and and when i did it just now it sounded just like that (laughs) Uh, actually uh, i really wanted to talk about this and we'll just touch on it for a minute I, I don't know whose idea it was, but I really love in this song how in between lines of the verses, uh, Lane Staley goes, mm. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's unnecessary, but the song great. would not be the same without it. Yes. Uh, um, also, uh, there's uh, chorus pedal all over this song, which I think is also a grunge thing. Like, let's uh, let's have some d- distorted guitars, but throw a chorus pedal on there. You know, come as you are. Yeah. Uh, I love that sound so much. Like, I will throw a chorus pedal on anything with no shame. I was, I was talking to somebody, a guitarist recently, about how... It was it was this sound that I think that when you were a young guitar player, 
you were always trying to emulate these guys and you could never quite (laughs) get it. And I think years later, all these guitarists like who had been just using distortion all of a sudden put a chorus pedal on top of it and went, oh, yeah, there it is. Okay, Um, let's talk about this song. Yes. Quite a bit because there's a lot going on. Yeah. I mean, first off, it's one of the longest songs that we've ever done on on the yeah, it's like podcast. six six and a half six six fourteen. Okay, I, I think closer is a little bit longer, but that's right. That's about it. And this song has ooh. S- now I want now I want to figure out like what's the longest song we could do? Oh, isn't no. there like a really long Tool song from the nineties? But maybe that there, wasn't a hit. There is. Uh, I was thinking like I don't know how it instantly popped in my head, but um, I would do anything for love. By, oh, by right, Meatloaf. Right. That's that's definitely a really yes. long song. Um, I love the sonic dynamic build in this song. Yep. So it it's an intro of just guitar and bass, with with what you were talking about the lyricless vocal harmony. Then that dagger of an opening line ain't found a way to kill me yet. Very good. Uh, this the lyrics are by Jerry Cantrell. The song is about his father's time in Vietnam. Um, and it's like the the vocals come in with just this hi-hat keeping tempo. And then halfway through the first verse, Cantrell hits these heavy chromatic descending chords. And it's like... Doom, the, doom, doom, doom. Yeah. And it's like there's there's no drums going on or anything, but like it just hits. It's like, yeah, all yeah, right. Yeah, it's great. And, and so they get uh, into the chorus... And they don't. They still don't add in drums. Yeah. And, and then when everything kicks in, it is just like somebody kicks you right in the chest. Yeah, it, no, it they, awesome. like you know, this is one of my favorite things. Is like you know, make me wait for it. Like like I know the song's gonna get loud. I know we're gonna get to the big chorus, but like don't give it to me right away. And this song does that so well. Oh, I, I think it's like a minute and a half, yes. if not more, into the song before you come to the chorus. And they it's like do, a minute before the lyrics come in. Yeah, and then they do the chorus. Once, if if you want to call it that, like the chorus is, is is the whole, you know, we ain't going to die thing. And it instantly busts into a guitar solo where Jerry, instead of doing these theatrics, is just playing the harmony of of uh, the chorus, the verse. And and it works so well, like it's it it's just yeah. awesome. And I think it goes then it goes back to the chorus before the. I mean, the second verse is like four minutes into the song, right? It it does. And 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 speaking of of theatrics, like this is kind of a showcase of everything that Lane could do with his voice. Yes, there's a specific thing that I want to call out that I didn't put on the agenda, but I was listening just before. I'm like, oh, we need to talk about that. On the last line of the chorus, goes, let me see if I can do it. You know he ain't gonna die. He does a little tiny yodel. Yeah, yeah. Well, and and I like how he, he does different things with each chorus. So one of them, uh, he goes... Oh yeah, and one of them he goes. Oh yeah, yes, like, yeah, like, like he varies it every time. Yeah, like like he's just doing many many different things, and I don't know if if they just in the studio said go for it or if they were like, okay, this needs some variation, but it's part of what keeps the song interesting and makes it so. Like when I saw this song was six minutes and fourteen seconds long, I'm like, that can't be right. At or, some point, doesn't he go? He ain't gonna die. I, 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 something like that. So, something along those <laughs> lines. Like it's, it's just 
it's gargantuan. It's, yeah. it's it's really really big, and and so it opens and closes with the the vocal melody that that doesn't have lyrics at all. It's really really well built as this dynamic arc like with all of the power in the center and kind of everybody laying out on on the outside so it's doing quiet loud quiet it's yep. it's following the grunge thing so i found myself while i was listening to this song thinking about the pink floyd song time not because they really like sound the same but because both of them are willing to just kind of sit back and do an instrumental groove for as long as they need to and they like all the players are good enough that they can make that work and you know vary it up and like stay in the pocket and it's really fun to listen to and never boring and and you know this song i was i was trying to figure out if maybe there was a radio edit I don't think that there was. That's a good question. And and it's the same thing where, like... I, I bet DJs would, like, talk... What, what do they call it? Hitting the mark? Hitting the post? Yeah. Um, they'd probably talk right up to the first verse. Or or up to the, the vocal melody, yeah. at least. But, like, I wouldn't put Dirt on the same level as Dark Side of the Moon in terms of popularity, but, but you know, it was a very popular album. Yeah. And it's kind of one of those things where I think that radio stations were forced into playing the entire thing because there was going to be an uprising, if not, where people were like, hey, 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 you can't cut out the best part of the song. Right. So a song like Time, you got to put in the whole intro. It it can't be cut off or anything like that. You also talking here about... the the use of the weird chords in this song. Okay, yeah. So I'm like, and I think this is this is a. I mean, there are two other like things I think are kind of characteristic of grunge, um, and sort of sort of like the the musical like naivete of grunge, like uh, you know, sort of the punk rock ethic of like you know we don't do music theory, we just play what sounds good, um, which I think is true, especially of Nirvana, but Alice in Chains also. So this song I feels to me like it's in F major. Um, but there are only four chords in the whole song, and two of those chords fit in the key of F major, and two of them don't. And so, to me, that always feels like there's a little sense of like, oh, we're sort of lost in the jungle. Like, like we're going over to this chord. Like, it doesn't really make like musical sense, but it sounds good. Well, I, th- this brings up a couple things that we've talked about on the show before. Uh, one being that great songwriters, when they're writing a song, aren't thinking about theory like they're they're just hearing what they hear in their heads and i'm jealous of that because the the double-edged sword of going to music school is you hear something you go that doesn't work because it doesn't fit right and and so i'm no good at writing songs in my opinion because i think too much about what does and doesn't fit um but also i think that that it's a mistake to say that that grunge bands weren't musically apt like i i don't know how you just put it but well like i said i said naivete that doesn't mean that they can't play well it's that it's that they're coming from like a you know a punk diy aesthetic like you know we we make music like uh you know from because we like to make music and we not according to uh like we're, we're throwing off like like classic rock strictures and we're not prog rock but but you listen when you go into deeper dives with a band like Soundgarden where we talked about it 
they liked using a lot of odd time signatures. Like oh, yeah, everything absolutely. going on in their Sound, songs Soundgarden, is very strange. Pretty proggy. Yeah, pretty proggy when you when you really dig into it. And this the thing that stands out to me about the vocal harmonies is not just how great they are, mm-hmm. which they are, but that they choose to do them throughout most of their songs. Like it's it's a common thing in pop music to hear vocal harmonies on a chorus and nowhere else. And Alice in Chains will use it all the way through a song. And it is incredibly challenging to write stuff where you're not getting incredibly repetitive with it, where you're creating all sorts of melodies and just going, all right, let's put a second one on top of that. Right. Yeah, no, like this album kicks off with Them Bones, which which starts with like full on vocal harmonies from from minute one. Yeah. Um, And and this brings up one of the points that I was thinking of, which is the only time that I've really seen Alice in Chains live was not in person. It was the unplugged where they're, you could really see that their vocal harmonies even worked live, that they could do it well in that setting. Um, I did finally see them with Duvall opening up for Guns N' Roses, I think, in 2015 or 2016. How was that? It was excellent. Actually, both bands were shockingly excellent. I, I went in with pretty low expectations for GNR, and they were fantastic. Now, like... Have you listened to any of the like three like uh, you know post Staley era uh, Allison Chains albums? I've I've like periodically like put one on like this is pretty good. Like I'm probably not gonna like put it into like heavy rotation, but like you know they definitely still care. I I didn't listen to the last two, but when Black Gives Way to Blue came out, I listened to it and it is a great album. Really, really great. I I think that that. Like they made a great, great choice with William Duvall in that he can do the vocal harmonies. He can make them sound right. He's got a great stage presence and he brings his own thing to it where he can do the old stuff and not make it sound like he's just trying to copy Lane Staley. And then he can do this new stuff and it can sound unique enough that they don't feel like they're becoming a tribute to themselves. Totally. One other like thing that feels to me like maybe a grunge characteristic, at least because it's associated with like most of the biggest grunge bands and is quite different from like 80s hair metal for the most part is like Lane Staley has a pretty deep voice naturally. And so does Eddie Vedder and to to a lesser extent, but still so did Kurt Cobain and so so did uh, Chris Cornell. And these are like deep voiced singers. Even Courtney Love, I would say, has a pretty deep voice. And these are deep voiced singers who then when they hit those high notes, it makes it sound thicker and more impressive because their natural voice is deep. Whereas like when I think of 80s hair metal, I think of people with naturally high voices hitting like really like operatic high notes, which is also cool. It's also cool. But then you watch or see live uh, the current version of Vince Neil and you go, yeah, that's why that was a huge mistake. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I get it. (laughs) Like if Lane was still alive, I think he could still get pretty close to this. Whereas like the the Vince Neil videos that you see on TikTok and Instagram, uh, hilarious results. Okay, I haven't haven't watched this. I should. Oh man, like people will, will... 
put up misheard lyrics that are not misheard lyrics from the original versions. They're misheard lyrics from the current <laughs> versions, and it's fantastic. That's great. The other day, I did karaoke, and I did the song Free Will by Rush, and uh, it Ouch. went really, really well until that one part. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, this doesn't even make sense. How did he do that? Wait, you mean the each of us incomplete? Yeah, that part. <laughs> You're like, not, not even falsetto's gonna save I this. Know. <laughs> um which reminds me, uh speaking of, of bands that people uh either hate or love. One of the things that I found while researching this is that Jerry Cantrell, among guesting with many other bands, he spent a tour opening up with his solo stuff for Nickelback. Okay. And Nickelback learned the song It Ain't Like That, um, which they performed in the movie Singles. Okay. And uh, not Nickelback, obviously. Alice <laughs> no, no. The parts with Nickelback. Yeah. The, the parts with Nickelback like, like stole the show in Singles. Um and you can find this on their live at home concert video, which they, most of it is on YouTube. And I'm like, OK, let's see if this is going to be a train wreck. And Jerry Cantrell is up there. And uh, God damn it. What's the lead singer from Nickelback? I was just Chad, right. Chad Kroger. Thank you. I, I, I was um, like Zach. Zach Delaroque. <laughs> he's he is doing the harmonies on on the choruses with with uh, Jerry Cantrell and it is fantastic. Chad Kroger is an incredibly good vocalist. Like, however you feel about Nickelback, he is, he is an excellent singer. The whole band sounds fantastic, yeah. where you were like, if Jerry Cantrell had just decided to go out on his own after this and do Alice in Chains' tribute act with Nickelback as his backing band, I hate to say it, they would have fucking nailed it. Yeah, of course. Um, one thing that I will always remember, like if you if you stop and ask me what was the name of Jerry Cantrell's first solo album, even though I have never listened to it, I know it was called Boggy Depot because I thought it was a funny name, and also that's just kind of what his guitar playing sounds like. Yeah, I know. I, I've <laughs> never listened to it either. I like it got okay reviews, but I think it's probably good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like we said, he, he was kind of the brainchild behind this whole thing, so we know that he can write songs. Now we need to go back and listen to that. Listen album. to Boggy Depot. It, yeah. It, it was we can't do it on the show because it's from like 2002. Uh, one more thing that I've got to say. Yes, Snuff the Rooster is funny. Okay, yeah. I mean, I, to be honest, like I semi-jokingly suggested that we do this, even though like I know it's a great song and, and an important band. But like, man, it is very hard to, to like not laugh while singing that. But the idea is like. Like it's a song about his dad going to Vietnam. Yeah, so, I get it. So like the idea is they're gonna put him out, they're gonna kill him, right? Yeah, I understand what it means. Because his nickname was Rooster, but couldn't they have just said we've come to kill the rooster? That's that would be yeah. That would make more sense. It would be, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean on the other hand, Snuff the Rooster is fun to say. I, like I, I think I think they made the right choice, even though I will giggle at it every time. Nice. All right, what are you listening to? Okay. So I I have to tell everybody to listen to this and it's going to be extremely polarizing. Okay. But I discovered this band Young Gun Silver Fox and their most recent album is from last year. It's called Ticket to Shangri-La. I think they have four albums and it's, you know, it's a year old but it's new to me and this just checks all the boxes for me. They are they wear all their influences on their sleeve and they do it so well. It is like a mixture of 
like 80s Yacht Rock, Michael McDonald, Hall & Oates, Loggins and Messina, but then also got the writing complexity of Steely Dan. Great vocals, great harmonies, like horns, the works. It is phenomenal. Does it seem to you like a current thing is bands ha- like choosing two band names and just going with both of them? Well, here's... <laughs> Because like Black Country, New Road, I'm sure I feel like I'm on the verge of coming up with a third one. But like Young Gun or Silver Fox are probably both existing well, bands. Well, why don't you take a guess at why they're called Young Gun, Silver Fox? Two people in the band had ideas for band names and they couldn't couldn't agree. No, it's a young guy. And oh, it's, it's and a it's young an, guy and an old guy. And an old guy with nice. silver hair. Okay, that's great. Um, but anyway, if you're gonna listen to one song on this album, West Side Jet, fantastic. Okay. And then. Uh, a band local to Seattle, Small Paul, just put out their debut album, Come Alive and Live Again. It's a new project from Moondoggy's frontman, Kevin Mur- Murphy, along with his housemates. <laughs> uh, well, uh, local natives, that, that's how they started. They, okay, they, yeah, yeah. It's like you live with a bunch of people. No, oh, I no, th- I, yeah, I totally get that. I th- I just, it just it sounded to me like he like sprang it on his housemates one day. Oh, by the way, we're a band now. <laughs> yeah, I, I, it could have been like that. I found it interesting that a guy in his 30s still has housemates, yeah, but sure. who am I to judge? With a, in a successful band. Yeah. Um, Moondoggies are probably my favorite current Northwest band. They're they're still around too. This side project doesn't disappoint. Kevin Murphy takes a little bit of a back seat on it, but he also sings harmonies and leads. It's very 70s style rock. Um, if you like the Moondoggies, you're going to like this. Okay, that's awesome. Um, I'm going to do two two short ones. One, because I mentioned it last month, the clientele, I'm not there anymore. I hadn't heard the whole album, but now I have, and it is a fucking masterpiece. You're going to love this. If uh, if you like uh, what was described in the movie, High Fidelity, as sad bastard music, you're going to love this. <laughs> um, I just started listening to, and I know I'm late on this, uh, No Name's new album, Sundial, uh, which it's a rap record. It is so good, like incredible backing tracks, lyrics that are political and funny and fun all at the same time. She is so good. Um, okay, I got two two other ones. Uh, there is a French punk band called The Dead Krizukis, and their album is called From the Underworld. And I stumbled on them. They are not a well-known band at all, as far as I can tell. And I stumbled on them when I was watching Bad Religion covers on YouTube and this band just rocks. They play so well. Like, they are just incredibly tight players. They have a uh, double kick drum all over the place. And uh, the singer, whose name is Mader, or uh, M-A-I-D-E-R, but probably pronounced some way in French, she was born to sing punk rock. Like, this, this stuff is so good, so catchy, and all with a French accent. And, like, I don't know what a Kazuki is, Krizuki is, but if you like 90s skate punk, you're going to be all over this. It's my day. My day, yeah. <laughs> and finally, uh, this uh, up-and-coming band that we mentioned uh, during the episode, coincidentally, uh, Guns N' Roses has a new single called Perhaps. I didn't know this, it and I haven't out- listened to it yet. Yes, okay, yeah, I said it, so... I think this might be the best GNR song since the 90s, which admittedly is saying very little, but it's, you know, there's, uh, it starts out with some like slamming uh, axle piano riffs, and uh, he sounds really good, and it is a catchy song. 
have you heard the other two songs that they've put out since they reunited? Nope. Eight years ago now? I think I I think you played me one and it was bad. Uh, absurd. Hard School isn't bad. Absurd okay. is hysterical. Like, Axl Rose keeps doing these really high notes for no reason whatsoever, and it it doesn't work at all. Yeah, no, I think I think uh, Perhaps is a good song. Perhaps. Right. Like, is it going to make you feel like, wow, they're back now? No, but it's but it's bit way better than I expected. I, I think the stadiums full of people don't really care what we think. So, yeah. Uh, didn't we say we're going to do Civil War? We did say that at one point. That would be a really long song. Yeah. Should we do that next time? Um, well, we've got a couple ideas. Okay, so great. so we'll see. It's it's up there. All right. Where can the people find us? Uh, so hiddenjukebox.com, Instagram.com slash Jukebox Hidden, Facebook.com slash Hidden Jukebox on all your favorite streaming platforms. Uh, tell your friends to listen to us because, you know, maybe someday somebody will give us money like uh, Mr. Clean. Mr. Maybe Mr. Clean will give us money. Yeah, he, he himself. I don't know about the company that owns him. Like the, the bald guy with the earring? I, I dressed up as him for Halloween one year and it worked perfectly. Excellent. Yeah, that makes sense. See, being bald at 23 pays off. Yeah, we should get on threads. Maybe we could like post things in between episodes sometimes. Yeah, I, I, we're, we're not on Twitter, so I can't say that we're on X, but right. maybe someday. Uh, until next time, I'm Jake Amster. And I'm Matthew Amster Burton.